This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are today. We are talking about the ninth principle, ninth principle of faith, which is, uh, I believe, with perfect faith, the Torah will not be changed. The Torah will never be changed. There will never be another Torah given. That's it. No New Testament. That's it. No, that's it. The Torah has never changed. Once we have the Torah, that's it. The Torah does not change. Which is important. Why? Because today we're living in a sea of moral relativism. Do you know what moral relativism is? That everything, people want to just change, chop and change. Let me give you an example. I don't, actually, I don't want to give you examples because these examples I'll get in trouble. <laughs> For example, abortion. A few years ago, abortion was murder. You can get prosecuted. Overnight, it becomes a requirement for doctors to do. They have a quota. How can it be? How can it be just overnight? Uh, homosexuality at one time is a perversion. You get arrested. Today becomes like, I won't say a mitzvah, but it's like, they want to make it a mitzvah. So why society decides things are changing. We're changing. Morality is changing. It's not staying the same. Morality is not static. The Torah says, no, morality is static. We believe the Torah is unchanging. Okay? Make sense? Morality doesn't change. We are changing. Our Torah is our anchor in life. Our Torah is our anchor in life. If the Torah changes, we're in trouble. Why are we in trouble? Because we have no anchor to to cling on to. So it's interesting because many times in history, people think Jews are out of date. Either we're out of date or we're crazy. Many times in history. Let me give an example. There was a period in the Middle Ages where Jews were very concerned that people were being buried without being dead yet. You know that? Oh, gosh. Because in those days, they never had brain scans, they never had thermometers, they they, they would approximate. The guy didn't move for a few minutes, he's dead. So Jews made a law saying, no, you can't bury the guy straight away, we've got to wait. We've got to wait a few hours. Wait a few hours till he's cold and this and that, and then we know he's dead. So the the, the prince of that time, I can't remember who it was, he said these Jews are out of date. You don't need to wait. You stop breathing, the guy's dead. Bury him straight away. So now today, they say we're out of there because we say, the other way around, we say that people are still alive. Right. And they say, no, he's dead. He's brain dead. We say, no, he's alive. So we're always out of date. Judaism is always out of date. We never fit into the modality of the time. We have a fixed morality. Our morality is fixed from Sinai. Our morality is fixed from Hashem. We believe Hashem will never change the Torah. And we cannot come along and chop and change the Torah. That's our problem. There are some people today who believe, this doesn't apply to me. Judaism is like a supermarket. I'll take this mitzvah, I like this mitzvah. This mitzvah I don't like, I'll leave it on the shelf. I like this mitzvah, I'll take this mitzvah. That mitzvah doesn't like, but I don't going to take it. So they make Judaism into a, a supermarket. Judaism becomes a supermarket, chopping and changing. Why? Because they don't believe it's from God. They don't believe it's really from God. And they don't believe if I can't do it, if I don't have, if my Yetzirah is too strong, it's not a real mitzvah then. Hashem would not give me a mitzvah I can't do. And therefore they're willing to chop and change things in the Torah. So we have to realize, number, one, number nine, principle number nine, the Torah does not change. We have to live up to the Torah. We don't change the Torah to fit us. The Torah does not become a suit of clothes that you can chop and change the clothes to fit you. You know, famous story of the, kid, of the guy, he wants to buy a new suit. It's just before Pesach. And there's no time. He runs to the store, I want to buy a brand new suit. And he wears a suit. It's a beautiful suit. What's a good make? What's a good make of suit? Uh, Calvin Klein. Huh? Calvin Klein, Brooks Brothers. He goes, gets a beautiful suit. He likes the material very much. 
but the sleeves are long, and the legs uh-huh. are long, and the shirt, pants are long. There's no time to alter it. It's just Arab Pesach. <laughs> so he tells the guy, what am I going to do? He says, bend your elbows a little bit. <laughs> and what about my feet? He says, bend your feet a little bit. Walk bow-legged, you know? So he comes out the store. He's walking like this. And two old ladies are there. They say, what a beautiful suit. A poor fellow, he's a, he's a cripple. <laughs> so anyway, so we, unfortunately, a lot of people want to change the suit. Right? They want to change the Torah to fit them. They, instead of changing themselves to fit the Torah, they want to change the Torah to fit them. And that's the hard part. The hard part is we have to change ourselves to fit the Torah. That's the hard part. People have to realize it's very, very hard. You've got to change yourself. You've got to change your own impulses. You've got to change your own desires. You've got to change your own behavior to fit the Torah. That's the hard part. So the guy says, you know what? I can't change my behavior. Let me change the Torah instead. Good idea? Yeah. It's a very good idea. The mom's there. It's not nice. God gave you a gift, and you kind of come and change the gift. Imagine. So you know that you know the, the joke. The joke is that the grandmother she tells her grandson she moved to a new apartment. So the grandson gives her gives the instruction. How do I get to your apartment, grandma? He says, "Well, when you come into the building, you press the bell with your with your left elbow. You go like this. You press the bell with the left elbow." And you press 103. So you press 103, then you go to the elevator, you press with your left elbow to go up to the third floor. And again, your left elbow, you press number third floor. Says, Grandma, what's going on? Why le- left elbow? So well, you're not going to come empty-handed, are you? <laughs> so, we got to... Okay, Hashem expects us to change. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Is the Torah is here. The Torah is for us to change. The Torah helps us change. We have to fit the Torah, not the Torah fit us. Hashem is not going to change the Torah. He's not even going to change one law in the Torah. So nothing changes. And that's the important principle. The ninth principle involves permanence. Hashem's Torah is permanent. No one can change it. Now the Torah itself says you're not allowed to add and you're not allowed to subtract. subtract. So why can't I add? Why can't I add an extra mitzvah? So the Dibna got Magid. You heard of Dibna Magid? Dibna Magid gives a very nice, beautiful story. Dibna Magid was very good at parables. He gives a parable. He says, a man goes to his neighbor. He says, neighbor, he says, can I borrow some silver spoons? He says, sure. I'll give you, how many do you need? Ten? Okay, ten silver spoons. The next day, he gives him back eleven silver spoons. So what happened? He said, well, the silver spoons, they had a baby. He has eleven silver spoons. The next day, he goes back, he says, can I have, uh, you have any crystal glasses? I want ten crystal glasses. He says, sure. Ten crystal glasses. The next day, he pays him back eleven crystal glasses. What happened? They had a baby. <laughs> the next day, he goes, he says, do you have any gold cutlery? Do you have any gold, beautiful gold cutlery? He says, sure. How many do you need? Twelve pieces. Okay, twelve pieces for twelve uh, set, twelve sets. Gives him the twelve gold cutlery. The next day, he comes back. He says, where's my gold cutlery? He said, it died in childbirth. He <laughs> said, what do you mean, died in childbirth? Cutlery can't die in childbirth. He said, well, you, when, when I told you they gave birth, you didn't, you accepted it. <laughs> so when the Dibur mother says, if we can add to the Torah, people say, if I can add, I can also subtract. So it's Asur, it's forbidden to add and subtract. We're not allowed to add or subtract to the Torah. So how do the rabbis add? By the way, we had a list of seven mitzvot from the rabbis. What were the seven mitzvot? Let's go quickly. Eruv. Hanukkah, <laughs> Purim, Halel. Halel, beautiful, Halel, Brachot, what else, Eru, what, we did Eru, what else, yeah. quickly, quickly, Purim, Purim, Hanukkah, we did, okay, Litzilat Yadaim, very good, thank you, and Erot Shabbat, 
seven mitzvot from the rabbis. So the question is now, how can the rabbis add seven mitzvot? Do you have a list of seven mitzvot? Hanukkah? Write down. Purim. Nitilat Yadayim. I'm trying to write out of my head. Hanukkah, Purim, Nitilat Yadayim. Eruv. Shabbat candles. Brachot. Hallel. Beautiful. Seven mitzvot from the rabbis. So the question is, how can the how can the rabbis how can the rabbis add mitzvot? You're not allowed to add. And the answer is, they're not adding and telling you it's Torah law. They're telling you it's rabbinical law. You cannot add and say it's a mitzvah from the Torah. You can only add and say it's a mitzvah from the rabbis. You can't add and say so. They're not telling you it's a mitzvah from the Torah. You're not allowed to add a mitzvah to the Torah. But they're not adding it to the Torah. They're just saying this is rabbinical law. So a person's got to know what is from the Torah and what is from the rabbis. Because when you do a mitzvah from the Torah, you have to have in mind, I'm doing this mitzvah because God commanded me to do it. When you do a mitzvah from the rabbis, you don't say, I'm doing it for because God, I'm doing it because the rabbis commanded me to do it. But God says, listen to the rabbis. Where does God say, listen to the rabbis? The Torah says, You're not turn away from their ways to the right or to the left. So it's a mitzvah in, in the Barim. Um, yes. What about all the other stuff that the rabbis said, like... Uh, like and, uh, so it's negative mitzvah. It's all about seven positive mitzvah. Oh, okay. The rabbis added many mitzvah, many negatives. Right. So you're allowed to make a gezerah. They made a gezerah, which is a fence around the Torah. They made a fences around the Torah. And sometimes because of laws of mourning, because things bad happen, so they made fast days. Mm-hmm. But that's a, those are negatives. So there's many more than seven negatives. But there's only seven positives. Interesting. Only seven positive mitzvah the rabbis make. Okay, so mitzvot are forever. Because the Torah, the Torah says in Devarim, which is very famous, I'm first going to look at this chapter, chapter 13 in Devarim. Chapter 13 in Devarim talks about false prophets. Very, very important. Very important. One of the dangers is someone comes along, pretends to be a prophet, does miracles, walks in water, he can spit the sea, I don't know what he does. And he says, I'm a prophet. And he'll, say, he'll tell you, keep something else, do something else. Don't keep the Torah. So the Torah tells us, don't listen to him. All the words I command you, you shall keep, and you do. You will not add to it, you will not subtract to it. Things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever to keep all the words of the Torah. So we have to keep all the words of the Torah forever. It will be an everlasting statute for all your generations. That's it. So we are not allowed to add, we not to subtract. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy. No one else can come along and say, I am greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. I am greater, and if I can change Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy... We're not allowed to add subtract. So the question is, what happened? There is a thing called what's called a Horat Shah. Have you heard of a Horat Shah? Horat Shah means an emergency decree. And rabbis can make emergency decrees, but they have to tell you it's a, for a short period of time. This is an emergency decree because the, the generation requires it. It's for not a mystery for the Torah. Huh? For instance. I'll give you one second, slowly. <laughs> Very good. For instance, for instance, uh, Eliyahu Navi. Okay. Eliyahu Navi is living in the time of the Beit Hamikdash, which is the the temple in Jerusalem is built. Shlomo's temple is there in the tribe of Yehuda. Yehuda has a temple. The northern kingdom broke away. The ten tribes in the, north, in the northern kingdom broke away. And they don't believe in God anymore. They have their own prophets of idols of Baal. Baal Zevuv, Lord of the Flies, which they imported from Phoenicia in the north. Because the queen was from Phoenicia. Isabel. Or Jezebel in English. Isabel. Ahab and Isabel. Ahab was the king of, of Israel. And Eliyahu Navi cursed the kingdom of Israel with three years of famine. Three years of famine and people are dying. They're dying of famine. Terrible. Can you imagine? 
across the border in Judah, they have rain and they have water. So it's a miracle. And over here in the north, they're dying of famine. He made, he said, it's so terrible, no rain, no rain in Israel, no rain. So the king is hunting him. Ahab is hunting this man where he can't find him. Where is this man? He's like invisible. Where is Ahab? Where is uh, Eliyahu Navi? I want to kill him. I want to kill the guy. All of a sudden, Eliyahu Navi says, I'm here. I want to challenge the prophets of Baal to a spiritual duel. Wow, this is amazing. A spiritual duel. What is a spiritual duel? I'm going to bring my offerings on Mount Carmel. We're going to go to Mark Carmel, which is in Haifa. Hara Carmel. And I'm going to challenge them to a spiritual duel. Whoever can pray and bring offerings to God, whoever their God is, and bring rain, everyone has to admit he's right. He tells the Jewish people, he says, why are you going to live, you're, you're, you're between two things. Why are you between Baal and God? Just let's decide once and for all. Who is the real God? Okay, prophets of Baal, you go first. There are 400 prophets of Baal. They all go first. They bring you their, their, their uh, sacrifices and uh, they're praying and they're screaming and he says, maybe your God is sleeping. He can't hear you. <laughs> Shout louder. So they're shouting and screaming. They're cutting themselves. Nothing happens. So it's eight Mincha, it says. In the time of Mincha, Eliyahu goes up Harakarmel. All morning they were trying to get rain. Nothing. He goes up to Harakarmel and he brings his offerings on the altar. And then he says, build a trough around the altar. They build a trough around the altar. He fills the whole altar with, with water. <laughs> and he prays to God, Hashem, show them you are the real God. Let fire come from heaven and burn the offering. And phew, fire comes from heaven, burns the offering. Wow. They all scream, Hashem Elokim, which we do at the end of Yom Kippur, right? Hashem Elokim. They pray, Hashem is the God. That's Hashem is God. We recognize Hashem is God. Then he tells his servant, go up to the mountain and see if there's a cloud coming. So he goes up. No, blue skies. Go up again. Cloud coming. No, blue skies. Go up again. He says, yeah, I see a cloud like the size of a fist <laughs> coming. He tells the king quickly, run, go home quickly. It's going to pour with rain. Run, go home quickly. The king goes on his chariot, goes home. The skies open. There's been rain. Rain. Because the Jews acknowledge God, God sent rain. Complete rain. So now, how was Eliyahu be allowed to bring a korban on Mount Carmel? Because we know there's a halakha. When the temple exists, you're not allowed to bring a t- an offering anywhere else. So how could he do that? And the answer is emergency measure. Emergency measure called the Horat Shah. For example, I'll give you another, another Horat Shah, much more recent. A Beit Yaakov movement. Have you heard of the Beit Yaakov movement? Yeah. You're oh. only allowed to bring a korban where? In the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. And until today, we're not allowed to bring korban up. Right. How come I can't go into my backyard and build a nice Mizbeach? Mm-hmm. Just like Gidon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like who else? Gidon builds a Mizbeach. Avram Avinu builds Mizbeach. Yaakov, Yitzhak, they all build altars. And they, right. How come I'm not allowed to? And the answer is, once you have the Beit HaMikdash, that's it, you can't. Okay. So even though the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, we can't do it anymore. That's it. It's called Isur Bamot. The prohibition of high places. Give you another example. Horat Shah, Beit Yaakov movement. Okay. It's still going. Fine. It's Horat Shah. It's an emergency measure. Because girl, girls did not want to marry from guys anymore. They didn't want a guy with a beard. You couldn't, couldn't find a wife. The girls were reading books of romance and they were not reading the Torah. So the, the, Sarah Shnir goes to the Havaz Chaim. Baruch Hashem Havaz Chaim was a brilliant man. He says, Build a, build a Beit Yaakov. The girls need today to learn Torah. Mm-hmm. So that's a Horat Shah, which it still exists. Baruch Hashem, it's amazing. So you can imagine the Chavot Sahib said, no, girls are not allowed to learn Torah. You know what happened today? There'll be no fruit people today in the world. No, so he was far-sighted enough. Horat Shah, it's a very important Horat Shah. But, but is there a time to start the Horat Shah? Yes. 
And so when do we... The time is when we have the Brit inside our flesh. Yirmiyahu Navi says there'll be a time where the Jews will not need to be taught Torah anymore. It'll be so, you'll grow with it inside your heart. People will know God from instinct. It's amazing. It's called the circumcision of the flesh. Hashem says you will circumcise your heart. What do you mean circumcise your heart? And the answer is there'll be a new covenant. That's the, that's the whole shot of the new covenant. When Yirmiyahu Navi talks about the new covenant, he saw a new covenant in your heart. And no man will have to teach any man anymore. It'll be a natural, you'll know God naturally. You won't have to teach. You don't have to come to class anymore. Boy, I'll be on vacation. <laughs> I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to be able to teach anymore. It's amazing, right? No more rabbis. Because we'll all, we'll all know it instinctively. It'll all be inside us. The Torah will be inside us. It'll be part of us. It's amazing. Can you wait for that time? It's amazing. You won't have to like do it. Like before we were born? Yeah, you were learning in the womb. So you'll come out with that knowledge and you'll know it. You'll know the whole Torah. Amazing. Okay, so we're not allowed to change the Torah. The Torah does not change. The Torah does not change. That is mitzvah, num- that's a principle number nine. Okay, so the Rabbah says, I'm just going to quote you. The Rabbah says, Rabbah Pichot Yesodei Torah, in the laws of the foundations of the Torah. That's where most of these principles are, in the laws of the foundations of the Torah and the Rambam. And he says, A Torah Hazot, this Torah, is a carbon copy of the Torah given by Hashem to Moshe. We're not allowed to add to it, we're not allowed to remove from it. Not the Torah, not the written law, and not the oral law. So, either one, we're not allowed to interfere and change, chop and change. Davar barum farash Torah. leolam. The Torah is a mitzvah which applies forever. Le'olam ul'olam Forever and ever. You cannot change it, you cannot remove it, you cannot add to it. Shneemara. All these things which I command you, you will guard them. Lasot to do them. So we have to guard them and do them, which is the one. Guarding is the negative, and doing is the positive. So we have to guard the negative mitzvot. Don't, don't commit all the negative mitzvot, and we have to do the positives. It's just like the mitzvah of Shabbat, this week's parasha, Yitro. Mm-hmm. Mitzvah number four, but it's not really mitzvah number four. Because it's not really Ten Commandments, right? What is it? What is it? It says, the Torah says, Aser Tadvarim, the Ten Sayings. Or Aser Tadibrot, Ten Sayings. People say Ten Commandments, not Ten Commandments. Ramos says there's 14 commandments. There's sayings which can be split into different commandments. There's really 14 commandments, but there's 10 sayings. So 10 sayings. So let's talk about, people call it the fourth commandment. Sorry, the fourth commandment. Let's, people call it the fourth commandment. Shabbat. What does the Torah say about Shabbat? Zachor et yom Shabbat Remember the Shabbat to make it holy. How do you remember Shabbat? How do you remember Shabbat? Lighting candles are from the rabbis. How do you remember Shabbat? Quickly, quickly. Kiddush, excellent. Kiddush. When you make Kiddush, you're remembering Shabbat. Ramon says also, when you make Havdalah, also you're remembering Shabbat. You remember Shabbat when he comes in, you remember Shabbat when he goes out. That's Rambam. Rashi says, you remember Shabbat. When do you remember Shabbat? Guess. Candles. You say candles. Candles are mitzvah for the rabbis. What do you do before the rabbis came along? Even Kiddush on the wine is a mitzvah for the rabbis. Kiddush means just the words. When you say the words, by Chula Shemayim Varetz Chutzvah, by learning the Torah, we learned about Shabbos. And not working. What do you mean? When you make Kiddush, how do you make Kiddush? When you say the words, Baruch Atah Hashem Mikadosh Hashabbat. That's Kiddush. But the wine is a rabbinical law. So the Rabbi said, make make Kiddush on wine. Why? So people, when you when you have a cup of wine in your hand, people look at you. (laughs) People pay attention. When you have a cup of wine in your hand, people pay attention. You don't have a cup of wine in your hand, people are just gonna, uh, just dreaming. So just a way to, mechanism by which you focus people's attention, that's all the wine. Is that so for both of 
The first meal is from the Torah. The meal in the morning is only rabbinical law, and that's why there's no brach of Kiddush. There's no Mikadish HaShabbat in the in the. It's just Borei Geffen. The second meal is the rabbinical law totally. You don't eat Kiddush in the middle of Shabbat. It's already Shabbat. You only sanctified Shabbat when Shabbat came in. But so the rabbi said, listen, you still need to remind people it's Shabbat. So I'll make a little Kiddush in Shabbat. There's, there's no mitzvah of a bracha. It's just the... Anyway, let's move on to Rashi. What does Rashi say? How do you remember Shabbat according to Rashi? And the answer is, every day you're meant to count. Today is Yom Rishon to Shabbat, Yom Sheni to Shabbat, Yom Shlishi. Every day we're counting. The tefillah says, today is the first day of Shabbat, second day of Shabbat, third day of Shabbat. is Rashi. Rashi says, you remember Shabbat in a weekday. That's amazing. I'm counting down every day to Shabbat. Psh, that's beautiful. Uh, Beit Shammai says, it says every day he would eat for Shabbat. How would he eat for Shabbat? He would go to the store, and he saw something new, nice, he would buy it for Shabbat. The next day he saw something even nicer, he would eat the first thing, and he'd, he'd keep the second one. So every day he was eating for Shabbat. <laughs> so Halakha is not like that, but the Ramban says it's a very nice thing to do. Always when you find, go to the store and find something nice, Buy it for Shabbat. If you find something nicer, eat it. And say, listen, I'm keeping this nicer thing for Shabbat. We're good at eating. You're good at eating, right? Jews are good at eating. We like to eat. Rabbi? Yes. Um, so when we make the Kiddush on Friday night, do we say Amen after Priya Gafen? Or after... We say both. We say oh. two Amens. We say Amen after Priya Gafen. Separate bracha. Every bracha you say Amen. Okay. Because the, the main... Priya is not the Kiddush. Priya Gafen is the bracha on the wine. So we say Amen. Bracha on the wine. And there's a big debate. What comes first, the bracha on the wine or the bracha of Kiddush? Beit Shammai, Beit Beit Shammai says the bracha of the Kiddush comes first because the day causes the wine to come. And Beit says, no, the wine is also important. The wine comes first and the day is later. So we say the bracha of the wine before the day. But everyone needs to uh, say uh, amen we, on both, on both brachot. That's why we cover the bread. We cover the bread because that's a different reason. There's two reasons to cover the bread. What are the two reasons to cover the bread? Not to embarrass it. Not to embarrass, embarrass the bread. How can bread get embarrassed? <laughs> Because and the answer is, it's a lesson for us. You see people who embarrass their wives, but they won't embarrass the bread. They're crazy. Why? They cover this. They tell, scream at the wife, where's the cover of the bread? How come you didn't cover the bread? Hey, the whole purpose of covering the bread is to not embarrass the bread. You're embarrassing your wife in public. It's humiliating someone. So we have to take a lesson from there. If I can't embarrass bread, which is inanimate, how much more so I can't embarrass people who have feelings. It's a very big lesson. It says the spies did not learn that lesson. Right, the who, who, right? The spies didn't learn. And Miriam uh, was punished, right? And then they go and talk bad about Israel. Talk bad about Israel? It's inanimate. If you can't even talk bad in an inanimate country, how much more so you can't talk bad about people? That's the lesson Hashem is teaching us. Think about everything. Moshe Rabbeinu did not hit the sea, the river. Why didn't he hit the river? Because it saved him. It's, a, it's a weird. What do you mean? The river saved me. It's like hakrata tov, even to small things. Don't throw your things around because your things serve you. Okay. So feel good. Imagine, think of the, the moral implications of this, that we even think about inanimate objects. How much more so people who have feelings? I mean, we don't think about this enough. It's a Kalva Homer. How much more so we have to look after people with feelings? Okay, so we're talking, what are we talking about? Kiddush. How do we get onto this? Okay, please remind me. <laughs> remind me how I got onto this uh, topic. The, seven the two brachas. The two brachas. Okay. So we're telling you, Kiddush, two brachot, is a bori pregefet, and, and the brach of the, of the day. But the brach of the day is the mitzvah from the Torah, and the, and the Kiddush is just uh, the rabbinical, the law of the bori pregefet is the rabbinical law. And if you don't have wine, you can make the Kiddush on the bread, on Friday night. You can make Kiddush on bread. So it's not the bread, it's not the wine, it's the Kiddush, which is the bracha itself, of Mikadish Shabbat, which is the Kiddush. And we said, according to Rashi, you count the days, right? You count the days, every day is like a... 
you're counting. It's amazing. It's an amazing concept. So how do we know all this? And the answer is, the Torah just says, remember. How do we know this? And the answer is, it's all a law. Moshe Rabbeinu was up on mountain 40 days, 40 nights. What's he doing over there? He wasn't dreaming. He was, having, he was, t- he was learning Torah. <laughs> I wish I could learn Torah. He just plugged in. You plug yourself in and it's all downloaded into your head. That's how you learn with Hashem. Hashem just downloads all the information to your head. <laughs> yes? Isn't that there's seven rabbinic laws, positive rabbinic laws? Yes. But then you mentioned that Kiddush Shabbos Day is a rabbinic law. So Kiddush Shabbos Day is a rabbinic law, yes. But it's a rabbinic law, but it's not one of the seven. So you can see, it's the seven main ones which were added at a certain time, and then they... There's others. There's others they added later on, yes. What's interesting is, uh, there's no bracha on it. That's why it's not a mitzvah. It's not considered a mitzvah. There's no bracha on it. Oh, there's seven mitzvah which the rabbis made where they have a bracha on it. Asher, Kiddush, Yom, Tzvanu. Kiddush on Shabbat, there's no bracha on it. It's interesting. So it's not really a mitzvah, a rabbinical law. I so say it's a rabbinical good thing to do. But it's not a mitzvah because there's no bracha. You know, there's no bracha on it. We don't say Asher, Kiddush, Yom, Tzvanu. Mikadesh HaShabbat. The rabbis now make a bracha. So when they didn't make a bracha, you can't consider it a mitzvah from the rabbis. There's a difference between a mitzvah and a good thing. <coughs> Today we do it like a mitzvah. It becomes like a mitzvah today. But there's no bracha again, you see. Those seven things, there's a bracha. All those seven things have brachot. Right? All the seven things we mentioned, there's a bracha. When you make an eruv, you may have to make a bracha. Sheikh Shams Zazfanu, Amitzvah Eruv. Right? When you say halel, Sheikh Shams Zazfanu, Likmor, Likro, whatever it is to say on the halel, right? Uh, whenever you like your candle, say, Ladlik Ner, Shal Shabbat. Yeah, when you like the Hanukkah candles, you say, Lalik Ner Shell. Hanukkah Ashkenazim. Svarim, Lalik Ner Hanukkah. No shell. And uh, what else? Uh, Purim, what do you say? Al Mitzvat. Likro et Amigila, right? Ashik Shah Zazfanu. Likro et Amigila. Right, so. Or Lishmo et Amigila. So, whatever. So, we have all these mitzvot, which have brachot. All the mitzvot from the rabbis have brachot. Some things the rabbis said, but there's no brachot. So, we see it's not a mitzvah per se. It's, it's more a good thing that the rabbis said to do. Okay, so nothing in the Torah is going to be changed, and that includes the oral law. Well, that's amazing. Now, it's interesting because there's a beautiful Rav Samson of Hush. Samson of Hush, I don't have to talk about him, but I, if you want to look about, I give a talk about him. Was it this class? Anyway, it's, it's on uh, Torah Anytime. It was on Shabbat, but then I repeated it somewhere, sometime. I can't remember when I repeated it. I hope I repeated it, because it was a good class. Okay, it's, I think. Rav Samson of Hush, it's on Torah Anytime, I hope. You'll find it under Yard Sites. Yard Sites of Samson Rafael Hirsch. Very big tzaddik. Anyway, he has a beautiful book called Chorev. And in his introduction he says, he talks about reform. Because he was the first Orthodox rabbi to really have an impact, to turn back the tide. What happened was reform was taking over Germany by storm. Reform movement started in Germany. Moses Mendelssohn, who was Orthodox, translated the Bible into German. German. Uh, what is what is his purpose of translating the Bible to German? He wanted the Jews to learn German. Very strange. All his descendants converted out. That shows how what his imp, imp, impact had on his children, on his grandchildren. Uh, the great composer Mendelssohn was not Jewish because he was the grandson of Moses Mendelssohn. That's tragic. It's very tragic. Um, and uh, so reform movement started in, in Germany, and mo- a lot of Jews became reformed. And uh, that's when the synagogues started changing. It's interesting. The first reformed synagogues had a separation between men and women. It's very strange. Because the women sat upstairs, men sat downstairs. But what they did is first they bought an organ, 
They want to be more like a church. They put an organ, they move the bima from the middle, and they move it into the front, and they made the rabbi face the people and not pray towards the wall. And they made all sorts of changes uh, because they want to be more accepted by the Christians. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make Jews more accepted by Christians because it was just after Napoleon Bonaparte broke the walls of the ghetto, and all the Jews came out of the ghetto. And now when Napoleon Bonaparte lost the war, they wanted to put the Jews back behind the ghetto. So they wanted to show that we are like you. Why do you want to put it? Why do you want to separate us? We want to assimilate with you. And that's what reform in Germany was doing. The whole idea was to assimilate and to be accepted in, in German culture. So, Rav Samson Paul Hirsch writes, uh, we talked about his 19 letters. Have you heard of the 19 letters? A book of 19 letters, which is, he's, uh, it's an imaginary uh, discussion between him and a young Jew who has questions about Judaism. Says, why do I have to be a Jew? Look, we've been afflicted, we've been persecuted, we, we can't work in this, we can't work in that. Shabbat, it's all burdens. Why should I have to be Jewish? So he writes 19 letters to this imaginary person. Right. It's a beautiful book, and that book by itself turned the tide against reform. What's the name of it? The 19 Letters. Mm-hmm. You can get it in the store, there's different, different uh, volumes. There's Feldheim and there's others, 19 volumes, 19, the 19 Letters. And then he wrote Horeb. Really, the truth is he wrote Horeb first, but no one wanted to print it. He said, there's no market for it. Write something small, see if there's a market for it, and then we'll print this. So he wrote his 19 letters after Horeb, and there was a market for it. People started buying 19 letters. It became popular. So he said, okay, now we'll print Horeb. <laughs> so Horeb got printed. So in the beginning of Horeb, I just want to read you what he says. So what does Horeb mean? Horeb is Har Sinai. Horeb. Horeba. In Hebrew, in the Torah, it says Horeb. Horeb is a word for the, the desert. Horeb. Okay. What does Horeb mean? Chareva, destruction. Yeah. Because a desolate desert. A desert, the word desolate, right? Okay. Right? It's not desert, it's desert. Desert is desolate. Um, so Horeb means desolate. That's where the Torah is given. Horeb, Har Horeb. Har Sinai and Har Horeb. It's interchangeable. So he says, there are three clear stages. This is Rav Samson of There are three clear stages in what was later called Reform Judaism. The first step was taken by Laman, headed by the rich and ambitious, Israel Jacobson. Israel Jacobson was totally ignorant, but he was very wealthy. And he was the president of the Jewish consistory of the new French kingdom of Westphalia. The French conquered Germany, parts of Germany, and they made this kingdom, Jewish kingdom. Put it bluntly, Westphalia is the northwest section. Northwest section of Germany. Okay, very good, excellent. I'm glad, I'm glad you know, good. And he was very wealthy, and he started rebuilding the temples. He, he made the first temple. He built it with his own money. He started building these things, institutions. Jacobson and his friends were not concerned with a theoretical justification for their disregard of Jewish laws and observances. They simply dropped those laws which stood in the way of their political and social ambitions. The opening by Jacobson of Reformed Temple in Season, I don't know where Season is, probably in the Northwest, amid the tolling of church bells, was merely an attempt to assimilate Judaism as much as possible to the Christian religion. Hear that? He didn't have any theoretical reason to do this. He didn't care. This is the way it's going to be. I'm rich. I'm going to build a temple. You want to come, come. You don't want to come, don't come. I don't care. This is the way. This is the way of the future. This is the way of the future for Jews. We want to be accepted by neighbors. Let's build a temple like a church. The bells are going to toll. The second stage was reached when, this is Samson Furlish talking about how reform started. When Michael Kriznak of Frankfurt on Main, a Jewish scholar and a teacher at the Frankfurt Philanthropin, tried to justify his work, ironically called Shulchan Aruch, he called his, his work. 
the reform or non-observance of Jewish law by his own interpretation of Bible and Talmud. He reinterpreted the Torah to say you don't have to keep these laws. He was still recognized, however, the divine origin. He still recognized the divine origin written in the oral law. He just came along and said these things don't apply to us because of these reasons. But I still recognize that God wrote them. The third, the third stage was the ideology of the reform movement as created by Abraham Geiger and Samuel Holdheim. Geiger? I like the Geiger counter. Have you heard the Geiger counter? It's one of his grandchildren. The latter in his work on the autonomy of the rabbis and the principle of Jewish marriage declared all legal parts of the Torah as no longer valid and binding on the Jew. Hear that? Only the general religious and universal moral ideas contained in the Torah could be conceded permanent validity. He transferred the Shabbat to Sunday, abolished the, the language of Hebrew as the language of prayer, eliminated all references to Jewish nationhood, Zion and Jerusalem in the prayer books. So recently, the reform just put it back. It's amazing. He actively encouraged intermarriage and explicitly stated mixed marriages between Jews and non-Jews were valid also from the Jewish religious point of view and a rabbi can be there. This is already in the 1700s, 1800s. This is not something which is new. Right. Holdheim. Holdheim and, and Geiger. Go a little slower. You can I know, so I know. Fast you have to look at the tape. Time. You have to hear the tape. <laughs> you can play it slowly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll try. I'll try. It's very hard for me to talk slowly. It's very... It's very, very hard for me to talk slowly. So try and get as much in as possible. Okay. So he allowed rabbis to officiate at mixed marriages. Because he said mixed marriages, no problem. We recognize it, and Jews recognize it as a valid marriage. Even when cases of non-Jew are not being received as Jews. This is, this is reform. It's not reform now. This is reform when it first started. As far as Abraham Geiger was concerned, who must be considered as the leading and most gifted mind of the reformers. He subscribed to the higher criticism of the Bible. You know what that means? The Bible critics came along and they said the Bible is not written by one person, it's written by 50 people. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. If you go to college today, they'll tell you, this is written by A, this is written by B, this is written by C, this is written by G, this part of the Bible is written by F. 50 authors, I don't know. So that's why Geiger subscribes to this idea. And therefore nothing is by God. The whole Bible is not from God. He denied its divine origin. He ridiculed the dietary laws of Kashrut. He advocated the abolition of circumcision. Torah is gone. Nothing anymore. It's over. Dead. That's it. That was the beginning of reform. In, so you see, this is totally against the principle, this principle of Judaism. The Torah does not change. Principle number nine, the Torah doesn't change. We change. But we have to try and align ourselves with the Torah. And that's the beauty of Rav Samson of Fort Hirsch. Torah and Derek Hertz. The times required this whole big discussion. Let's not get into the discussion. There's a massive discussion. Is When he says Torah and Derek Hertz, was that a Horat Shah only for his time? Or is that something he really believed in? And it's an interesting because the Aguda will say it's Horat Shah. But his own students and his own grandchildren, Rabroyer and his grandchildren, all said it was something he really believed. This is the true Derek. The true derech is, you go to work and you learn Torah. And that's the true derech. The truth is, there's a debate in the Gemara. There's a debate between Rabbi Shmal and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, you're not allowed to go to work. You study Torah all day and Hashem will provide for you. What's the problem? Hashem provides for everyone. If, if Hashem can provide for the animals, right? You ever seen an animal work? Huh? Anyone seen a fox work? Horse work? They only work because we catch them, make them work. But they don't have to work, right? They, get the, they go in the wilds, they go around and they... So why do we have to work? 
So Hashem provides. Yeah, he provides a wife for the man. The wife has to work. <laughs> hey, where do I get a wife like that? <laughs> the wife works and provides. Okay, I'm all for it. That's a liquid. Okay, let's not go into that. Let's not go there. Okay, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'll tell you why it's amazing because it's the total difference today between the Hasidim and the other movements. The Hasidic movements, they don't. They work. They go to work. They never heard of women going to work. No, the women are home looking after the kids. It became. It's amazing how what happened. It's upside down. The whole world became upside down. Anyway, let's not go into that. But uh, we're back to Rabbi Samuel of Hirsch that he had tremendous impact. And I just want to read you a part of the 19 letters. It's the 17th letter. It's the 17th letter from the book, the 19 letters. It's a very small book. I advise you to go and get it. If you don't have it, go and get it. If you want to get it for your kids, whatever. Someone has questions about Judaism, there's a good book to get. So he says, he calls the guy his protagonist. The kid, the kid who's asking questions is called Benjamin. Dear Benjamin, we are still very far from what we should be. Just look at the ideal way of life which the Torah asks us to realize and compare it to the actual life we are leading as individuals, as a community. We're so far away from what the Torah requires us to be. Let us work with all our might, with all the resources of goodness and nobility to reach this ideal. Reform? Certainly. But reform to us spells the implementation of Judaism by Jews in our time, realization of the eternal ideal within the setting of our particular age and through use of the specific circumstances that it provides. In other words, education, reform means we have to reform ourselves to reach the heights of the Torah. That's reform. Not to reform the Torah. <laughs> we also believe in reform. Reform for ourselves. They believe in reform of the Torah. We believe in reform of ourselves. So that, is the, that is amazing. That, what a brilliant idea. Okay. He talks about the golden calf. And it was like the first reform movement. Think about it. Where's the first reform movement in history? And the answer is the golden calf episode. Psh, can you imagine? They, get the, they see the Ten Commandments given, given. They didn't actually get it yet. They heard the voices, whatever it is. Forty days later, they're worshipping a calf. Mm-hmm. What happened? They reformed Judaism. Reformed. That was the first episode. It's interesting, we have to remember, it's one of the ten things we remember every day. One of them is the golden calf episode. One of the mitzvot to remember is to, we have to remember what, what, what we remember. And the answer is how quickly people can change. How quickly the slippery slope downwards is, is very, very fast. You see people all of a sudden they're this, and then all of a sudden they're phew, next day they're gone. Where are they gone? What happened to the golden calf? Rav Chaim Shmuel says they got depressed. They got depressed. In a state of depression, a person can give up everything. People get depressed, they break all boundaries. They break all boundaries. Where do we know this? Cain and Hevel. Cain kills Hevel. Why? Cain was depressed. How do we know Cain was depressed? Hashem says, Lama naflu panecha. Mm-hmm. Why are you depressed, Cain? And Cain says, I'm depressed. I'll take it out on Hevel. On my brother. Okay, so uh, that's how the Jews, they are depressed. Moshe didn't come back. We're stuck in the desert. There's no leader. What are you going to do? We'll make a leader. We'll make out an artificial leader. We'll make this whatever it is and make an artificial leader. They're depressed. A person shouldn't be depressed. It's very hard not to be depressed, by the way. Something's happened. That's one of the tests in our lives. A person believes in God will never get depressed unless there's something wrong with it. A person believes in God will never get depressed. What do you mean? It's very hard. Uh, a person's got to find strength through their bitachon, through their emunah. I think a person's got to find strength. That there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There's hope. My grandfather never had children. 
His first wife never had children. His first wife dies. I don't know, he was 50s, in his 50s. Imagine. And uh, he's a businessman. He's traveling all over the world. He goes to Singapore. And there's a guy on the train that says, Are you Jewish? He says, Yeah. Are you married? He says, No. He says, Come, meet my daughter. In Singapore, of all places. How many Jews in Singapore? <coughs> so he got married, and thank God I'm here. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anyone. He had eight children. Can you imagine? He had eight children in his 50s. Can you imagine? If you give, never give up hope. Never give up hope. How old was your grandmother? Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you. Much yes. younger. Uh, uh, she passed away. I never met them. I never met them either. But I have their pictures and they're very inspiring. Okay. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. This is our belief system, which is the beginning of Pirkei Avot. Mishnah 1, chapter 1, Mishnah 1. Pirkei Avot. Moshe got the Torah from Sinai. What did he do with it? He passed it down to Yehoshua. Yehoshua passed it down to the elders. The elders passed it down to the prophets. The prophets passed it down to the leaders of the great assembly in the time of Ezra. After the first destruction, he, they passed it down to Ezra Sofer. And Ezra Sofer and his Beitin said three things. Be slow in judgment. Examine everything carefully. Have lots of students. And make a fence around the Torah. That's where the rabbinical laws or negative laws came from. Make the fence around the Torah so no one will transgress the Torah. So amazing. So this, this is part of our belief system. We believe the Torah is the same Torah. It was handed down generation to generation to generation to generation. And it never changed. It's very important not to add something and say it's a mitzvah from the Torah. Who made that mistake? Who made the first mistake? It said, Adam. Adam. Excellent. Excellent. Actually, it was Eve. Okay, was Eve. excellent. I'll take both of them. The man is innocent. The man is innocent. Boy, whose side are you on? <laughs> Fantastic. Really? Actually, it was Have I added to the, to the mitzvah? Hashem says, don't eat it. And when the snake asked her, she said, Hashem said, don't touch it. Right. She says, Hashem said, don't touch it. So why is she criticized? And the answer is, she did not differentiate between what's God-made and what's man-made law. God-made law is don't eat it. Man-made law, Adam told her, don't touch it even. He added a restriction. That's why it was Adam's fault, wasn't it? Well, maybe he told her, maybe he didn't tell her, I don't know. If he told her that I'm making this restriction, then it's her fault. But if he didn't tell her, it's his fault. And then what happened is she touched it. The snake pushed her against it, she touched it, he said, look, nothing happened. So you said nothing's going to happen as well. So we see the dangers of adding to the Torah and not telling anyone and saying this is from the Torah. Okay. So the Torah will not be changed with anything. And well, maybe that's the danger of the Chumras. It depends. If you say it's the Chumra, it's a Chumra. What's the problem? It's not a problem. The problem is if you think it becomes a law. This is a law. A lot of people don't know the difference between... Yeah, and some rabbis don't teach. Some rabbis don't say this is from the rabbis, this is from the Torah. It's very important when I teach. I try and teach... This is a mitzvah for the rabbis. This is a mitzvah for the Torah. It's very, very important to get that clear. And also Baal Teshuvah. Right, Baal Teshuvah. Baal Teshuvah says, Rabbi, I want to stop becoming religious. I eat in McDonald's. What should I do? It's okay. Stop. Stick to Coke. Stick to Coke. Mm-hmm. Can I make a bracha, Rabbi? And the answer is, you cannot make a bracha on something which is not kosher. Right. So you can make a bracha on the bread. It's probably kosher. You can make a bracha on the Coke. It's probably kosher. But you cannot make a bracha on the meat, and you cannot make a bracha on the meat and the milk together. I once asked to make a bracha on the non-kosher meat, 
And that's how the entire family broke up. Good. Because I said no. Baruch Hashem. Good for you. No. But it's a machloket. Not so easy. Yeah. Rambam says no, and Maybe Ravad says yes. The Ravad says you're not allowed to put anything in your mouth even if it's not kosher without praising God. Rambam says, how can you praise God for something not kosher? <laughs> so that's the big discussion. Anyway. So that's basically it. We're not allowed to change the Torah, but we have to change ourselves. We're also reformers. We just don't change the Torah. We change ourselves. ourselves. We'll all change for the better. We'll take the lesson of covering the bread, which is this week's parasha, right? The mitzvah of the man. The man came. There's two reasons. One second, one second. There's two reasons for covering the bread. Right? Remember that? So one reason is not to embarrass the bread. You're doing the wine before the bread. The second reason is we learn from the man. The man came with do underneath and do below. So there's uh, two reasons for the for the covering the bread. One is to remember the man, which is the manna which fell, and the other one is not to embarrass the bread. So it's interesting. So even when there's no wine, you still have to cover the bread. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.